Welcome to Pharmacy View Technology and Pharmacy Business Podcast Series, where we provide regular interviews with pharmacists and key industry people within the Australian pharmacy and associated industry. In each podcast, we look to discuss aspects of pharmacy operation and how technology is improving or interacting with each guest's current role or pharmacy-related business. I'm your host, Scott Carpenter, and today's guest is sponsored by Shopfront Solutions, leading the way in digital marketing and communications, providing a cloud-based platform for pharmacies to manage all of their digital and print collateral and messaging. In today's podcast, we're talking to Richard Manthe, Head of Data and Information Solutions at Pharmacy Platform, and my co-host is Anthony Saponsis, co-founder and head of development at Arian Technologies. Welcome, Richard and Anthony. Thanks, Thanks Scott. So, Richard, for anyone in pharmacy that may not know you, I'm not saying that there could be many of those, but tell us a little bit about yourself and your career history. Thank you, Scott. Yes, uh, 25 years in pharmacy this year, starting out in Adelaide, working through with suppliers, wholesalers, through retail chains and running an independent retail program, working through franchise development for uh, getting the right brands into the, the right stores, to making sure that the, the fit of the mindset and the behavior was right. And most recently in data and information solutions uh, for the last six or seven years and uh, based currently in Brisbane and had a stint in Melbourne somewhere in the middle of all of that. So, um, you know, been a fairly broad customer and uh, employment you know, range, I guess, across the entire pharmacy industry you know, over the last 25 years. Yeah, we actually met when you were in that Melbourne stint. We met, uh, yes, that would be a good uh, 10 years ago now, I suppose, when yeah, I was that. in that, that Melbourne stint looking after the, the retail program for independent pharmacy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, yeah, worked really closely with, the, with both you know, Scott in the past, Anthony, Andrew and, and everyone uh, in the team. Yep. Cool. Thanks, Richard. So, um, gents, today's discussion we've labelled as about cyber and data security in Australian pharmacy. We've heard recently about hospitals and medical facilities being hacked or having their data locked and stolen. Is this relative to pharmacy and, and are there examples or, or what pharmacies you know, should be doing to protect their system? I think there are a couple of parts to that question, Scott. Um, I think everyone that's got a computer and certainly anyone that's got a business is at risk, you know, is relevant to, to anybody, particularly where there may be access to some valuable information or potentially personal information that can be used. I think everybody is at risk to some point. Yeah, whether you're a business or a consumer, just a person at home, there's the same risk, really. Just the amount of information they can get varies. Correct. So on that basis, again, from, a, I guess, a layman's point of view, would, would I be potentially less at risk because I'm not a, a name brand or a, or a known industry as an individual? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I wouldn't be at risk, but is a business with medical records at a higher risk? Certainly, I think you know, any business is a higher risk than an individual. But I think in the business where you have some of that rich information, personal information, health-related information, I think... Uh, there is certainly a heightened risk. I think you've got more of a priority to protect that data when normally you wouldn't do it for yourself. But the risk probably comes down to who is hunting for that data to try and expose it. So then I guess, gents, in terms of a pharmacy, the risk is there to a lesser extent probably sales data, but really patient and client script data would, would be the risk in a pharmacy. I think that's where the, the higher 
uh, level of risk is, and I think that's probably where the most value to a potential hacker is going to be, where you're looking at personal identifiable information and the health information and potentially linking the two together. Yeah, that can be used for some nefarious purposes, such as impersonation and exploited throughout the internet if they can get to it. Okay, so uh, what would a pharmacy be looking for then? In you know, obviously, m- most pharmacies these days have got good internet systems. They've got good uh, dispense and point of sale providers. They've got other third parties that are working for them. What What are some of the risk factors that they should be looking at? Well, I, th- I think if you look at your very first point there, that most people have got good dispensary and point of sale vendors. Now, a lot of the software providers are pro- um, updating their systems and providing some security into their system already, you know, making sure that the, the system's protected on an ongoing basis. And I think that is, is just a part of it. I think there is the bigger risk or the other parts of the risk, I guess, are the behaviours that happen within the store. Yeah, and that's things like passwords, access controls, sharing passwords across you know, everybody in the same in the same pharmacy, right? So, you know, having one password, one login um, is a very, very poor example of security. I remember a few years ago when we were deploying um, the shop front into a couple of stores, there was a sticky note all over the monitors with random passwords for sites that people would have to, that would be their yeah. system to recognize what the password was for or whatever they had to log into. Yeah, That's so a, a classic case I think most people have seen when they would go through offices or wherever they work. There's sticky notes on monitors and they're generally showing passwords to things. Yeah. You're correct. I've seen that in many occasions, um, but I've also seen the much more organised ones. They've printed it up on and laminated it in A4, so it's much <laughs> easier to read and take the whole lot rather than just individual yeah. <laughs> little I tags. I thought you were going to say um, moving to Excel and sharing a sheet with every <laughs> password and account in it. <laughs> no, but it wouldn't yeah. surprise. With the passwords and the sharing access control, it comes down to having good passwords and managing that control, really. So if you have one password for all your accounts, if one of them can get compromised, then all of them can get compromised, especially your email. That's the gateway to everything then. The access controls would relate to people, so employees coming in, getting access to the accounts, they leave, they still have all that knowledge with them because that's a shared password or you haven't removed their account from your internal systems. So they can still access it if they wanted to. It's maintaining those security practices on the computer as you would in your store. So you will take the key card away and not let them into the store. That latter is actually one of the pieces that we see the most. People have had access to the systems. They've had the password. They've left the pharmacy and uh, the system is still open and their access has never been removed. So, gents, on that, what's the solution here for a pharmacy? Because, again, most pharmacists and their teams are always busy. Customer service takes priority, stock, etc. But I guess what's the system or what's the prompt for them to, on a regular basis, go through and clean up data access points? Is it as simple as a diary note, or is it a? Is this something that uh, it should be sort of like a procedure, like Mm. in-house housekeeping, effectively? As someone goes, it's part of that process of getting letting go, letting go of a staff member, or it's just a three-month or six-month checkup with depending on who's working on. Yeah. And many of the stores or the groups have some uh, standard operating procedures that they, they have in store to, to follow. And, and many of those have processes and protocols in place to manage passwords, to manage system control, and to go through and clean up the back end where staff have left or where new systems have been brought in to make sure that the right people have got right access and right levels of access and to be able to pass on 
the right information to uh, to new staff as they come on. Yeah, but then yeah, just like normal password policy enforcement, you shouldn't have password as your password. So it's only going to be as strong as the password you've got in the system as well. System's wrong. So how am I going to that, remember it, Anthony? <laughs> that's the problem. People say they can't remember it, but there are tools online for remembering your passwords. Correct. So I've got one service that we use. We've got I don't know, about 850 accounts recorded in there. Mm -hmm. I only have to remember the one password and the rest are 55 character randomly generated things that can't be hacked easily. Yes. So there are t tools and services available to help you with that. But... Yeah, the, the security of your password is going to be the weakest link across everything pretty much. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, also having systems put in there to make sure that those passwords are changed periodically as yeah. well. So so if I sum that discussion up then, or that point up, um, are we suggesting then a pharmacy good practice would be every, say, three months to go through and change passwords and delete accesses for people that have left might might be a good kind of electronic diary reminder for pharmacies. Absolutely, yeah. Whether it's three months or, or whether it's whether it's monthly, I think as long as there is the process that's in place, and I, I think the more complex the password structure and system, as Anthony was saying, the fifty-five character <laughs> randomly <laughs> generated system, yeah, may maybe slightly more than, than most would anticipate. I think the more complex that they are, the, the more difficult they're going to be to hack. So therefore, the longer the time period may be required. But if it's a, an eight-digit password, then probably more frequently. Frequently. So, Anthony, I might get a, a link off you later on for a couple of the password yep. tools that uh, you're happy to recommend. So, again, if I go back to a pharmacy perspective... Anthony, don't, don't, don't provide him yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> yeah. If I go back to a pharmacy perspective, so as as simplistic as the you know the passwords on a, a post-it note or a little uh, you know laminated sheet might be, the reality is, is that you know, I guess a hacker or or a nefarious person, <laughs> to use your point, um, Anthony, would actually have to walk into the dispensary to kind of see that information. So potentially, you know, if, if someone was to kind of get in behind the dispensary, they might find it. Mm -hmm. But would that be considered low risk? as opposed to someone actually hacking in from the outside? Depends how much of a target they are and if they've, what they've done in the past. But it, it definitely would be lower risk than what the majority of probably attacks are, which are those phishing emails that everyone hears about. Yeah. But not many people probably understand what they actually are. Okay. So that is where there'll be some site has been exploited and then the hackers will take all the email addresses from that and just send an email out to all of them that looks like it came from that website and saying, oh, we've been hacked, you need to change your username and password. And then someone will go into this fake website that looks exactly like the one they were, they were meant to go to and provide the username and password. And then what oh, that okay. does is that gives the hackers, maybe, I don't know, half a percent or 1% of people would actually do that, that many accounts to then go, all right, your email is at Hotmail or your email is at Gmail. Then they'll take that password and say, all right, did you use the same password on every service? Let's go and see if we can get into your emails. Or let's just try against some other well-known services and see how far we can get. And then once they've done that, they can then take over a lot of stuff. And then the worst case, extrapolating that out, is they can get into your like banking accounts and lock you out and transfer money, not just access emails and see what online shopping you've done. As well. So I'm still interacting with quite a few pharmacies around Australia um, with a couple of the um, businesses that I'm involved with. I guess what I've noticed recently is if, if I'm sending a follow-up email or communicating with a pharmacy, pharmacist or pharmacy team, there seems to be two types of emails that I, I'm given. Um, one might be person at dispensary point of sale provider.net.au 
and or the other one might be a Gmail account, which they're obviously accessing through just an internet connection. Am, am I right in making a call that says that the dispensary point of sale uh, system provider email is pretty secure, but the Gmail one is not? Depends who you're dealing with. If it's a personal person and they don't want to share their email with their organisation, then they'll give you the Gmail. But those ones that are like first name at organisation.com or .net.au, if you don't read them carefully, they can look like that and then they are something else. And that's how the phishing emails trick people. So where our, my email would be anthony at arion.com.au, it might be arion.com.au. If someone doesn't read that carefully, they'll think it's the right email from myself, but it could be the hacker. That's okay. how they get people into those things. So it's, you just have to be aware of when something comes in, check the email, who is it from? Is it what you're expecting? When you go to a website, is it the right address? Because the same rules apply to website URLs too. And I think the other point to that is, is this a bit of information or an email or a piece of communication that I would be expecting from this person? Because often you get things that don't sound like the person that the, it looks like they're coming from. Yeah, I'm Anthony's, sure. Anthony's not going to contact me asking me to change my password for my bank account. Yeah. Some people, yeah, the banking ones are the ones they probably get used to like, oh, you got an email from PayPal saying this is an incorrect transaction. Please log in to verify. Mm. If you haven't done anything recently on PayPal, that's a red flag. If you have done something, how many times, think about how many times you actually got an email like that from PayPal to think whether that's abnormal or not. And then don't click on the links in the things. Go to the actual service itself through the browser. Yeah, yeah. understood. Some general tips. So again, I guess that what, what that comes back down to then is that the internet connections in in one way, shape, or form is, you know, potentially poses a higher risk in a pharmacy situation. Yes, and I think the other thing you were just talking about in relation to the emails too. Um, if I can just go back to that for for a second, is the different number of emails or you know, is uh, at a pharmacy is everyone going by the the admin at pharmacy.com.au? And everybody looking at the same email or are there specific emails that are uh, set up for different uh, roles within the pharmacy? Because no one would know what to really expect if there's a shared inbox and then that's a greater way to get exposed. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, so again, if, if you've got this shared email address, that potentially then raises the, the risk even higher because as you said before, if you see an email that you're not expecting, but if it's a shared email address and someone else opens that email, they could actually, you know, in, in effect, create the, the incursion without realising it. Yep. Correct. Okay. All right. So, so the result of this is that if it's a pharmacy pharmacist or a pharmacy team listening to this, it might be a good practice to kind of go in and just tighten up this area. You may not have been actually hit or hacked to this point in time, or you might be being hacked and you may not even know it, but the risk is real and the risk is there and, and just have a protocol around internet access. And so... I guess that would bring me to the next point then, and that is the, the third-party platform accesses. And Anthony, to your point, you know, Shopfront Solutions, if there's a client out there with Shopfront Solutions that um, has got that system in, what are some of the things that, that pharmacies should be looking for? Because I'm sure Shopfront Solutions, a client, is probably just one of many, you know, cloud-based platforms that are accessing pharmacy computers these days. Yeah, so with Shopfront, it's, it can be set up on any computer in the pharmacy, and those computers are generally running the POS software. And from what our experience is, those the POS software generally has good security across those computers. Or if they're part of a, a banner group or a, a group, then those groups have imposed certain policies on the computers that prevent access. So we've generally worked with IT departments in the past to open up access for our app to get in. So in, when you're on the internet, you're sending data out and you're getting data back into the pharmacy. So what happens is unless you've got a firewall in place, then everything can come into the pharmacy. A firewall will prevent 
most access and allow, allow what's whitelisted. So we approach the groups and get our product whitelisted to allow access to that. And that's generally what would, should happen with most third-party software that is getting installed. If you're an independent and you're running your own computer systems, then there's firewalls built into Windows, but they're not probably going to be anywhere near as sophisticated as what's happening through those managed providers. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think you'll find too, some of the, the good point of sale vendors and the good point of sale systems will also have some of that firewall uh, protection for all of the, their pharmacies and at their stores. But it is a very good point too about the, the third parties. And there are many tools and services out there that are designed to help the pharmacies be more you know, efficient, more professional, more profitable by using the tools and services effectively. But you do need to understand what data they are using, they're accessing, um, and how to use those tools and services to make sure that some of those system and access controls like we were talking about earlier are in place. Um, and the good ones that are out there too will be working through just like Shopfront to make sure that they are whitelisted uh, with the, the services firewalls. Yeah, so Richard, on that basis, and again, I'm probably a bit old school now, but you know, I remember a few years ago where you know reps from company, you know, suppliers of companies would, would have an agreement to come in and extract a bit of data. I, I would expect that that's not the case anymore because A, there's less people on the road and, um, and B, there's greater connectivity to pharmacies. So how does that tie in in terms of that data extraction because I'm would well I'm sorry, never assume I'm, I'm going to suggest in some instances pharmacies or pharmacists just say yeah okay it's a reputable company I'll you know they, they're going to help me in some way shape or form but but the reality is what should they be looking for or if they if they've got someone accessing their data you know what areas should be they maybe concerned about that they're not currently potentially well to your first point you know suppliers coming in and taking data in the in the old days if, you, if you're talking about the usbs that people used to bring in don't see so much of that anymore and sort of hope to not see any of that anymore because there is a uh, a higher risk of transferring viruses from usbs into stores i don't see so much of that anymore there are a few reputable companies now that are doing the data extraction on behalf of suppliers they do have the the white listing security passes to go through the firewalls and, and to work with the pharmacies and provide that data on a meaningful basis. Also understanding the rules around um, privacy, you know, the privacy principles and making sure that they're not accessing uh, information, personal identifiable information that they shouldn't be um, without specific consent from consumers or, or the like to, uh, to be able to take any of that information. So on that basis, Richard and Anthony, if a if a supplier or a third party has been given approval through the point of sale dispensary platform, you would then work on the basis that that's kind of okay. It's it's coming through the the firewalls okay, and that the dispensary point of sale company is actually you know, managing or monitoring the security on that. Not to say that a pharmacy is not still at risk, but again, coming through that arena, it's potentially lower risk or lowest risk. If as a pharmacy, you've got someone accessing your data that's not through your point of sale dispensary provider who you know, then there's potentially a higher risk? Not necessarily. It's, it'll depend on the organization, how they've developed the software in the end. But it just depends, yeah, what controls are in place to do that and what access they have to that data. Most places, if they're approaching a pharmacy as with a product or a service, are above board and doing things properly. You're not going to just get someone walking off the street randomly saying, I've built this software, you've never heard of it, let's put it on your computer and take some data. That's not going to happen where there's a big risk. Do you agree, Richard? There is definitely a big risk. That would be a big risk, but you're not going to see that very often. Yeah, 
In fact, a, in a fact, in the 25 years, I, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, well, I just made up an example. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a – yes. No, you're never going to see that sort of thing. And I think, yeah, yeah the fact that people used to come and take data from US, using the USBs is diminishing as well. It gives extra third parties are less likely to be formed, I guess, because you do need to go through the proper channels and work with all of the point-of-sale systems. Yeah, so when we've worked with them in the past, we have to – get access from them, they have to allow us onto the whitelist, they only enable certain parts of their API or system for us to read the data from. Writing data is then another request that you have to put forward to them and provide a good case as to why you should write data. So they're fairly controlled and stringent as to how and what you can get. Yeah, yeah most of the systems are very controlled in allowing that access. Okay, and so, rightly so. Yeah, so again, if access to a pharmacy computer system is coming through the dispensary point of sale, through the guild, PBS links, etc. cetera, we, we're going to work on the basis that that's okay. If a pharmacist, you know, listening to this or hearing about this was to go back into, the, into their pharmacy and, and maybe have a look at things, what's some of the things that they should probably investigate just to kind of make sure that everything's okay? I would start with the basics at the very beginning and having a look at, you know, the policies, the procedures around password setup, password control, changing passwords and hierarchy or access controls to, to different people and you know, the process of what happens when staff move on or change roles. That would be the first point for me to start with. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit hard to try and audit an IT system as a non-IT security specialist. So there are those certain controls that, as Richard mentioned, that you can do and they're things that you can maintain yourself without having to dive into it. But it, it, it would be hard. So if you were getting hacked, it would be very hard to identify you're getting hacked unless you've gotten ransomware, for example. Yeah. So again, if I come back to the point of view from a pharmacy perspective, they think they've had an incursion. They think they've been attacked by a nefarious person, Anthony. Where can they get help? Where do they go? The first place that, that I would go is, uh, is to my point of sale or dispensary vendor yeah, and ask them for, for help and get them to, to check their systems and their logs. Uh, many other services and groups as well also have outsourced um, IT support that they use on a regular basis. So yeah, that, that's a secondary uh, option for them to try as well. From that perspective. Yeah. And then one thing, if you do think you're being hacked, just change the passwords on every account as a <laughs> okay. first step. That is like yeah. just changing your locks on your doors if someone's stolen your keys. They can't get in then unless they're still in your set of keys. And, and I guess, Anthony, the point there, you know, again, from past experience in, in my arena is that uh, getting a locksmith in to change locks is probably easier than going through and changing a whole lot of passwords. So, uh, again, that's where potentially that password tool might come in handy. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think one piece of advice that I've seen somebody give was if they thought they were being hacked at that time, turn the system off and disconnect from the internet. Okay. Yep. Shut down, Some turn off. Shut down, turn off. All right, now that's fine. Any, uh, any last words of advice, gentlemen? Be careful. <laughs> Follow just those good practices. The emails is always going to be the weakest link in any of the systems. Oh, sorry, passwords are the weakest link in any system. Doesn't matter what organization or how strong it is. If the passwords are weak, someone can find a way in. And enable two-factor authentication where possible. So that's where you log in with a password and then you'll get an SMS or one of those authentication keys and you have to put that code in as well. In that scenario, even if you do get hacked and someone finds out your password, they won't be receiving the SMS with the code that you get. So that's an added safeguard. Got it. I think most of us have had exposure to that these days. So. Yeah, the banks, I think, force that on everyone mostly now. Yeah, and, and accounting systems and practices. So, um, And Richard, any, any last words of advice? I think it's just 
keep an eye out on uh, on your all of your systems, on your staff, and on your processes and protocols, and just make sure things are up to date. Great. All right, gentlemen, thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with us today. Look forward to staying in touch. And uh, again, for anyone uh, that's you know interested in touching base with you, your uh, LinkedIn profile links in will, will be part of the uh, show notes. So uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Anthony.